Well, it's so great to be with you. It's been a little while since we've been down here, um, but it's so great. We love uh, this house, although we haven't been here for a while. We're fully up to speed with what's going on because uh, we're very close, as Dan said, with uh, him and Fee. They are probably our bestest friends on the planet. Love doing life with them. It's good to do life with people that you love, Amen. you trust. They love you, they trust you. So we've got that relationship here. I'm with the other leaders we've known for many, many years. So I count it an honor and a privilege to be able to speak to you this morning, especially because of the occasion all three churches from this region are in together. So I don't take that lightly. Um, I do have the word of the Lord for you. I believe it's the word of the Lord, but it's up to you to receive it as that or not. To some of you it might not be, but I really do believe it is. I also actually believe... There's nuggets in what I'm going to share this morning that are not just the word of the Lord to individuals, but I actually believe it's the word of the Lord to the churches that are represented here in some aspect. As I look at the scriptures together with you today, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to say something significant into the next few months of this year. So this isn't one of those words you can you know, think, oh, I'll apply that next June when summertime comes around again. You know, we're going to hunker down through the winter, get through the winter, get through spring, and then summer will come and everything will be rosy again. This word, I really believe, is for the next four months of this year. I believe God has something he wants to birth, release, and do in the churches represented, and therefore in every individual in this place. So what I'm going to do, before I jump into it, I've got this word I'm carrying. It's called make room. I'm going to share it with you in a moment, but before I do, I want to say a couple of things real quick. I'm not going to turn you to Scripture, but I want to read a few Scriptures to you, if that's okay, just to kind of set a little foundation for what I want to say. So I'm going to read to you really fast. Everybody understand me? This is Welsh. Everybody understand it? Those of you that walk close with the Lord have no problem understanding the Welsh accent, because everybody knows God speaks in a Welsh accent. So we'll sort the spiritual from the carnal out among you this morning. But I'm, I'll probably preach fast, but I'm going to read this really fast. Um, just want to say this quickly to give a framework to what I want to share. It's from Ecclesiastes, and it's about seasons. And the last time I spoke here in St. Charles, I actually talked about seasons. And I pulled one in particular out called springtime. So I want to jump in and read this to you because it, it'll, it'll segue into what I want to say. It says this. This is chapter 3. It's a very famous chapter, so you'll know it. Just listen as I read. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses super fast. It says this. There is a time for everything. Can you say everything? everything. You understand that? There's a time for? Everything. And a season for every activity. Say every activity. Everything. So there's a time for? Everything. And there's a season for? Under heaven. Then it lists a bunch of them. This isn't the exhaustive list, but here's some that are significant. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. Say build. Well done. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate and a time for peace and a time for war. Lots of times. And then it says this, look, as you finish up this portion of scripture in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Here's what I want to say from this really quick. For everything and every occasion in our life, there is a time and there is a season. So it's so important for us to always know what time it is 
and what's the reason for the season. God is always working that way. There's a bunch of guys in the Old Testament called the sons of Issachar. And it says this about them. They understood the times in which Israel lived and knew exactly what they needed to do. Maturity in God is this. You know the time and you know the season and you have no problem adjusting to embrace the season. Because also with season changes, there always comes things that you have to leave behind. Good things, not bad things. Because this tells us everything's beautiful in its time. That's why you take something from a time into a different time, and it might have been beautiful in that time, but in the new time, it's not beautiful anymore. How does that work? Because of seasons and timings. There are some things that just come in our life. That's why seasons are so powerful. We all understand winter, spring, summer, and fall. They are natural seasons, and the Bible tells us this, first the natural, then the spiritual. There is correlation between what goes on naturally and what goes on spiritually in our lives. But in our life, on a bigger scale, it's not just about winter, spring, summer, and fall. There's times and seasons for everything. And I really believe, from now until the end of this year, God has a season specific that He wants you to understand the reason for the season and he needs you to know what time it is for your church, for your family, for your business, for your walk with the Lord, for your finances, wherever this drops in your life today, come away today knowing the reason for the season and what time it is, especially concerning God's purpose for your life. He wants to bless you. He wants to grow you. He has no problem with you having things as long as things don't have you. But that's not what this life is about. We have a purpose to serve. If you're here, you're planted in one of these three congregations and you're planted to flourish in the house and God wants to do something in this season ahead. So that's one thing I wanted to say real quick. The other thing, and again, don't need to turn to this. It's a famous scripture. It's Isaiah 54, verse 2 and verse 3. And I guarantee someone has read this sometime to you recently. But it says this, and I'll read to you from the message. It says... Sing, O barren woman, you who have never had a baby. Fill the air with song, you who have never experienced childbirth. You're ending up with far more children than all those childbearing women. God says so. Love that. You can just preach all morning on that. God says so. Done deal. <clears throat> but listen to this. Clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large. Everyone say large. Spread out. Think big. Use plenty of rope. Drive the tent pegs deep. You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You're going to take over whole nations. You're going to resettle abandoned cities. Don't be afraid. You're not going to be embarrassed. Do not hold back. You are not going to come up short. The reason I'm sharing this and that the season thing together at the beginning is I believe there's a season shift, and I believe a lot of it has to do with this scripture. God wants you to grow. God wants you to stretch out. God wants you to have elbow room. How many of you this morning don't have much elbow room? Move your elbows. See if you've got any room. Confined space is never helpful. How many of you fly on airplanes? I fly quite a bit on airplanes, and um, I usually book, well, I've just been upgraded to gold status with United, so I get economy plus, plus now as a given, 
But when you, those of you that travel that don't want to or can't afford to pay for business or first class, or, and you're also too tight to pay the extra 150 bucks to have um, economy plus, you know, they put you in those little seats, don't they? At the back of the plane. And you're always praying as you're going in, Lord, please don't let me be sitting next to anyone fat, smelly, and no noisy kids, please. <laughs> and then you look at yourself and you think, someone's probably praying that about me. <laughs> Not the smelly bit. I'm good. And they, they parade you, don't they, through first class. They don't leave you in at the back of the plane. They bring you in and say, this is what you could have had. <laughs> then you go through first class, then business, then economy plus, and you're the last seat in front of the bathroom at the back, and your chair doesn't even go back. And you sit like this. I've been in that chair many, many times. It's not a good thing. But when on those occasions that miracles happen, like you've worked the miracle, and someone calls your name, and you get to walk back down through the plane, not into economy plus, you walk past them and go, what's up? <laughs> Walk through business class. Say, sup, suckers. <laughs> and they sit you in first class. You've got so much room, you don't know what to do with it. You're not tired, but you want to sleep because so you, you can. You've got room. Don't like champagne, but you'll order some anyway because it comes in a nice glass. And there's a huge difference between flying that way and flying that way. I believe God wants us to live in a large place. I don't have time this morning, but I could take you through the whole of Scripture, and you'll be amazed how many times God says, enlarge your place. In fact, one psalm says, God enlarges our steps as we take them. Famous prayer of Jabez, Lord, enlarge my territory. I really believe there's a season and a time that's shifting, and it's got to do with enlargement. It's got to do with growth, and it's got to do with room. That does not mean naturally a bigger building, but it means a bigger swell of the constitution of who you are. That in your life, something goes to a new level. Isaiah 43 says this, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing, and now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? It's always the heart of God to take us into something new. But to do it, and here's what I want to talk about in a moment, You've got, to let, you've got to let go of some things in your life and make room for the new thing to happen. You it's a principle throughout Scripture. That's why Isaiah 43 says that. There's, a, there's an order to what, what, it's, what it states. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. In other words, you've got to exit some things before you can... Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Scripture's full of it. First thing Joshua said to, um, sorry, God said to Joshua when he was going into the promised land, he makes a statement that was a separation statement. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua knew he was dead. Everybody knew he was dead. But God's making a point. Listen, this is gone. I'll be with you just like I was with Moses, but that season's gone. It's time to arise, cross over, and possess. Scripture's full of it. The apostle Paul said this, this one thing I do. Not two things, not three things, not ten things. This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press on. There's always this letting go to enter. And life for us, if we're on the cutting edge of what God is doing, and we're in a church you know, that's happening, real, relevant, relish, what's the third one? Real, relevant, 
radical. There you go, I almost had it. Relish is good too, though. <laughs> if you're in one of those churches, there's always movement. Yeah. And this is maturity. It's not, uh, yeah. things around me are moving again. No, it's your antennas up, something springing up. There's movement, therefore, there's room. God always moves people from glory to glory. Always moves them from fruitfulness to fruitfulness. And when there's movement, it's always a good thing. It hurts. It's, sometimes you don't understand it. But in God, you just know this is right. And you have to have something about you that jettisons certain things to embrace what's coming. Otherwise, you get stuck in an old season mentality when everybody's moved into a new season reality. And you look odd when you're out of season. You can wear, some of you still have sandals and shorts on today. Trust me, in three months, you will not be wearing sandals and shorts. And if you turn up in sandals and shorts, you look odd. Why? Because it was dress code for a season, and it was beautiful in its time. It's not beautiful when there's seven foot of snow on the ground. <laughs> Let me read you a funny story, and then I'll get into what I want to talk to you about. This is a funny story about the significance and the importance of moving when you're supposed to move. It's about a little Canadian bird. There once was a little Canadian bird that wouldn't fly south for the winter. It decided that this year it was not going to fly south for the winter like the rest of those birds. It was going to nestle right where it was in its nest for the winter and not expend all the energy and take the risk. So all the birds went because there was a shift of season. These birds knew the reason for the season and they knew what time it was. So all the birds went and the little bird waved them off and nestled into its little nest. <laughs> a few days later, the weather took a turn for the worst and became very cold. The little bird started to get a bit bothered and started thinking of all its friends who were probably sunning themselves in Mexico by now. Eventually, it decided that it would go south after all. It was a few hours into its flight when the weather got worse still and it rained heavily. The rain turned to ice on its wings. It began to freeze to death. It couldn't continue and eventually plummeted and crashed into the middle of a barnyard in the countryside. The bird was gasping its last dying breath and wishing it had gone in the first place. When suddenly... The barnyard cow came over, looked down, and did an enormous poop on the bird. <clears throat> the bird thought to itself, this is absolutely ridiculous. I'm dying. It's my final moment on earth. And now to add insult to injury, this cow has pooped on me. It lay back, ready to die. But after a while began to realize that the poop was kind of warming. <laughs> it began to get the feeling back in its wings, and its body began to thaw out. Suddenly, the bird realized, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. It began to get excited, and its wings started to flap, and it began to sing and chirp. However, all this chirping and singing alerted the attention of the barnyard cat. 
the kite sauntered over, picked up the little bird, and began to scrape the poop off him. And when the kite had cleaned the little bird up, he ate him. End of story. I'm not done yet. There are three morals to this story. Those of you that take notes, you need to write these down. There are three morals to this story. Not everyone who poops on you is your enemy. That's good to know. Not everyone who scrapes it off is your friend. And if you didn't catch the other two, write this one down. If someone poops on you, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) There's actually truth to that story in Scripture. You'll find lots of people got in trouble. King David got in trouble, trouble with Bathsheba at a season in time where he shouldn't have been where he was. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David stayed home, wandered on his rooftop, saw Bethsheba, and ended up in sin. This is the significance of season shifts. God loves us. He's for us. His grace is amazing and immense. Absolutely yes and amen for eternity. However, on the economy of God building his church and extending his kingdom on the planet, there are season shifts. And you can find yourself out of sorts, in the wrong place, at the wrong time, Because you stayed in something that was beautiful in its time, and God has moved on. So not cooperating with the season change does have ramifications into your life. Not that you're going to sin like David and Bathsheba, but understanding the movings of God and moving with them. And if you're a prophetic community, which you obviously are, prophetic communities know what's happening before it happens. That's why Isaiah says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God's making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. You know it. So I'm saying all that to say there's a season and a time for everything. And I believe there's a movement which if you embrace it and move, you're going to see fruitfulness like maybe you've never seen before. So the main part of what I want to say today, although I needed to say all that, is simply this. I believe God gave me this word last night for you all, and it's simply this. Make room. You make room in your life for the miracle to happen. What's in this next season? And again, this word, you'll, you'll view it through the filter of how it touches you personally, and that's great, and God is in that. But what I want to try and get us to do today is think about the church and the kingdom, not just about our own lives. There's a prophet in the Old Testament called Haggai. He came to the people at a certain time because life wasn't working out for them. And basically, his prophetic word to these people was this, consider your ways, consider your ways, consider your ways. Because they were all taking care of their own lives while the house of God was lying in ruins. And the prophetic call of God was, listen, things aren't working out for you because you're not focusing on the kingdom first. And so God wants to bless your marriage. He wants to bless your business. He wants you to have more things. All that stuff is wonderful. But he wants you active in his purpose in the church where you're planted, in the region where you are, building his house and extending his kingdom. And you can prepare for the season. 
That's why I'm laboring this today. You can get yourself right in position, just like Ange prophesied today and said, your stance before God needs to be, I love you, I'm for you, I'm with you. You can posture yourselves now, in these next week or so, to embrace the season. And one of the things I believe you're going to have to do is make room. How many of you remember the story of uh, Mary and Jesus at the wedding feast in Cana? First miracle Jesus did, therefore revealing his glory. It's interesting if you read the scripture, because Mary tells Jesus, listen, the wine's run out. And Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, most of you, if Jesus said, woman, and don't add tone to the scripture, we don't know what tone he said it in, but he said, woman, what has that got to do with me? Or my time has not yet come, words to that effect. Now, most people would have thought, huh, all right, fair enough. I'm not asking you again. I can't believe Jesus said that to me. Doesn't he understand my heart? (laughs) But this is what Mary did in the story. She turns to the attendants, because she's not taking, woman, my time has not yet come, as anything. She's his mother for a start, and that trumps everything. (laughs) Son of God, yeah, right, but you're on earth. Now, I'm your mum. All the Roman Catholics love this scripture. And all the reformed people love the fact he turned water into wine. (laughs) But listen, this is what she said. This is so powerful. She turns to the attendants and she says, listen, whatever he tells you to do, do it. What did she do? She made room or she prepared the atmosphere for a miracle that she knew was going to happen. She had faith in the fact Jesus was going to do something. Otherwise, she wouldn't have said that. And you know the story. Um, Jesus says, you know, fill the water jars. And it says this, they filled them to the brim. Not almost full, not sloppy full, not maybe full, to the brim. And then when they drew the water out, they turned into wine. You know the story. But here's the fascinating thing. Jesus' mother makes room for the miracle. She prepares the atmosphere by telling the people to be ready and do whatever he tells you to do, and do it to the max. Fill it to the brim. And in this season, I'm just simply saying this, whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, do it, and do it to the brim. Don't worry about your feelings. Don't worry about the fact seasons are changing and things are different, and I wish it was still summertime and we were all sitting around the pool. And I, No, there's a season shift. Just do what he tells you to do. There's a wonderful story in the Old Testament Dan preached up with us last week in Grand Rapids, and he preached the life out of this scripture. It was great. It's a story in the Old Testament. I'm sure he's preached it here, so I won't take you there. When Elijah, um, Elisha went to the Shumanite woman's house. You know that story? We preached that here. Great sermon. And um, basically, she makes a room on her roof, and she puts a table, a lamp, and a bed in there. And what, what did you say? It's the lamp of illumination, revelation, the bed of... Preparation, relaxation, preparation, and illumination. I wish I could do that stuff. <laughs> All I'm saying to you is, there's a room on the roof. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So I need to know today for this reason. This is what this woman did. It released a miracle into her life. All she did, she says to her husband, this prophet, this man of God is passing by all the time. 
there's no room in the house to put in. No room in the house. She says, can we build a room on the roof? So when he passes, he's got somewhere to stay. And he can have relaxation, illumination, and preparation in the room because of what we put in there. But here's the thing. There was no room in the house. So she made a room on the roof. And making a room for a prophet to come, in other words, is receiving the prophetic. When you make room in your life, even if you've got to build up, you need elbow room. You've got to stretch out. When you put room in your life for God, for His house, for His purpose, for the prophetic of the day to your life, you always make room for a miracle. Those of you who been praying for miracles in your life, I believe this is the word of the Lord to you in lots of areas. Lots of you have been praying for a miracle, then make room for the miracle. Well, I haven't got any room in my house. Then build a room on the roof. Have you ever thought about this? This is a fascinating story to me. When Jesus was born, um, it says he was born in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Now, that's not quite true. There was room in the inn. Can you imagine the innkeeper? Let me jump you out of the story for a minute, give you some background. I'm going to take a bit of poetic license. But can you imagine the innkeeper when Mary and Joseph knocked on the door and he opened the door, said, what do you want? We need a room. He says, there's no room and shuts the door. Can you imagine how he felt the next day? He could, have, he could have housed the birthing of the Savior of mankind. This woman was pregnant with something, and he could have made room and housed and participated and been a part of birthing something on the planet that had cosmic consequence, past, present, and future. He said, I had no room. Can you imagine how he felt? Damn. Savior of the world. And I had no room. He did have room because he had a room. And this is what happens, and I guarantee this is going to happen to you in the next few days if it hasn't already. Jesus is going to come to your life with something. I want to birth something fresh. I want to release something new. There's something, and you know it, son. It's springing up in your spirit. I have a purpose for you in this next season. Don't be the guy that says, I got no room. My life is full. Because Jesus never enforces anything to do with his purpose on your life. In fact, sometimes he tries, it's almost like sometimes he plays hide and seek with us. He wants to see how much we want it. So he'll withdraw on times just to see if we'll follow after him. God never removes his presence from us. And when God plays hide and seek, he hides in the way that he can be found. Those of you that are little kids, how many of you remember playing hide-and-seek with your kids? You turn them around, say, count to 100, and when they're little, what you don't do as a dad is sneak out, get in your car, and go for coffee, <laughs> and have your kids running around the house, where's dad, where's dad? No. You go upstairs, you stand behind a curtain with your feet sticking out, and, you say, and they'll say, come in. And if they're in the wrong room, you make a noise. <laughs> And when they're really little and they're in the room and they still don't know you're there, you kind of move the curtain. 
And then when they pull the curtain back, they've just found their dad and they've won the game and the look on their face is worth $1,000. So that's often how God touches us with his purpose. That's how Elijah called Elisha. Touched him, called him and said, go away, what do I have to do with you? If he hadn't kept pursuing, he would have not got a double portion of what God had in store for his life. And I'm saying that to say, you have room. And Jesus will come and he'll tap on the door and then he'll say, come. Prophetic word this morning. Keep asking, keep, keep praying, keep seeking, keep knocking. And so season shifts, you don't automatically flop into the next season. You've got to move. But the great thing with God, it's always bigger, it's always better, it's always greater. There's always more room, stretch out, let's go, let's extend, let's be fruitful, let's enlarge. And it's all to do with making room. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you about Jesus making room. Well, in fact, I'll just take you to one. I think I've talked enough. I think this has landed, so I'm going to be quick and I'm going to close. Matthew chapter 9. Go there with me really quick. Read this story. Give you an illustration and then we're going to pray. Matthew chapter 9, verse 23. Say, make room. Everybody there? Listen to this. Verse 23, Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus came into the ruler's house, oh, let me give you some context. Um, Basically, the ruler that he's talking about here had come and asked, his his daughter was ill. He said, Jesus, will you come and lay hands on her so she can get healed? Jesus said, I'm coming. The woman with the issue of blood happens in the, on his way to this guy's house. And as he's coming to the house, there's news that this little girl is dead. Situation done. And this is what Jesus comes into. When he came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. In that day, they used to pay professional wailers to come and wail when someone died. We still got him in the church today. It's like, it's like the ministry gift of wailing. He said to them, make room. Make room. He comes into a disastrous situation where death has dawned and people are wailing. And he just says, make room. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him because she was dead. But when the crowd was put outside, say put outside. He went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and the report of this went into all the land. I find this fascinating in this miracle. When Jesus turns up, there's wailers and musicians and people that are not helping the atmosphere for miracle. So Jesus comes in and says, make room. And then the following verse says, when they had been put outside, then he worked the miracle. Please listen to this. Making room in your life, you have room. You can build it on a roof. You can give up your own place of comfort. Or you can find room in, in what constitutes your world, what constitutes your house, metaphorically. You can make room. But in here, Jesus says something fascinating. When he makes room for a miracle, but in doing it, he puts outside 
those that are not helpful for the miracle that he wants to work. That's the working of a miracle. Jesus worked a miracle by putting people out of the room because he wanted faith. Dan referred to a story today. Jesus was without honor in his own town. It says he couldn't do any miracle there except lay hands on a few people. He still squeezed something in. But he said because of their unbelief and they took offense at him. You find the same Jesus. That's in Mark chapter 6. You go to the end of the chapter, you find the same Jesus. He turns up on a land, on an island, and they go and get the sick from every region possible, bring them to Jesus, and beg Jesus, let these people just touch the edge of your cloak. And this is how that chapter finishes. Everyone who touched him was healed. Think, what's the difference? Jesus was the same, but the environment for him to move was very, very different. One group of people had faith in who he was. Other people took offense. And so when you make room, you have to, please listen to this, put out of your life what is not going to help the miracle take place. It's the same thing that I said earlier. You've got to exit to enter. You have to let go of some things, which for lots of people means you've got to change your environment. If you're around people who are always negative and critical, the wailers, that is not a New Testament, New Covenant ministry. If you're around people like that who are always complaining, you need to, you need to for your make room miracle, you need to get some of those people out of your life and surround yourself. Have in your house, again, metaphorically, your sphere, your metro, and have in your world People that help you advance the kingdom and build the house. And a positive to your life. Speak faith to you. Stir you. Challenge you. On the same path as you. The same vision as you. Working together. Put out of your life the naysayers. The wailers. The people that are always causing problems. This is in scripture for a reason. Jesus is saying make, to make room, you've got to get certain people out of your environment. So you can be free to do what God wants you to do. Amen. But here's the thing. I'm going to do one illustration in a moment, and then I will close. But let me just pull this in again at the moment. Seasons. What's the reason for the season? What time is it? I want to say there's a shift coming. It's happening right now. Some of you perceive it. Some of you listening to me preaching, you think, oh, I know this. God's been stirring me. This next season can be massively significant to do with growth enlargement, taking territory, extending the kingdom, having elbow room, seeing people born again, baptized in water, filled with the Holy Ghost, added into God's purpose on the planet. If you're willing to transition, let certain things go, good things, and embrace what's new. It's a funny thing, walking with God, because... Do you know God is not as concerned about our convenience as we are? I'm serious. It's like the Elisha and Elijah thing. Again, touch him with your cloak and then move on and say, what have I got to do with you? It's like you touched with purpose and move on. Jesus did this with people all the time. He'd say some tough things to people to see if they were going to follow him. You look at the way Jesus called his disciples. He called them at an inconvenient time. They were in Korea's. And he calls them. Just leave that, follow me. Miraculous catch of fish. What a day. Says they left all that and followed him. Jesus would turn up in people's lives when they were in work and say, 
just follow me. So if you want a convenient life, if you want a life without movement, without stretching, you're going to struggle in God's house. You're going to struggle in the kingdom. One of the basic DNAs of the kingdom is it's forcefully advancing. The kingdom of God is moving. It makes increase of itself. It's growing. It's big. And when something gets big, you've got to adjust. When I put weight on, I looked at um, Reese Evans this morning. Um, what's his name? Jeremy. Jeremy. Whenever I see Jeremy, I always think of Reese Evans. Do you know that actor? Welsh actor. You should know who he is. So when I looked at him this morning, I thought, I thought that guy is the size I want to be. We can have a miracle of impartation, yeah? He looks good, doesn't he? I mean, for a 55-year-old man, I think he looks absolutely amazing. I do know his name. I just forgot it in the moment. But Google um, Reese Evans. looks exactly like Jeremy. Anyway, my point is this. He's standing up here. I mean, he's thin like that. And he's got a belt pulling his waist trousers because those pants are too big for him. I think, oh, to have those problems. <laughs> I've kind of gone the other way. Here's what happens with increase. Things change. No matter how much I tried, I cannot wear those clothes. I wish I could. And then as you grow, clothes don't fit you anymore. And I'm not suggesting everyone grows. I'm just using it as an example. But, uh, yeah. But as you grow, things have to change. Yeah. I can't wear 28-inch waist pants. Ain't going to happen. Amen. I think my thigh is 28 inches. <laughs> my point is this. With growth, there comes change. Yeah. And you have to adjust. Yeah. I'll tell you this illustration, and I, I am, I'm going to close. Many years ago, I used to sell I was, I was in sales and sales training and management um, all my life until I, I was paid for doing what I do now. And uh, did, did all this before while holding a job. And one of the jobs I had, I, for a period of time, I sold pest control. I was a really, really good salesman. I could sell. I knew the art of the sale. But when you work for companies that sell certain products, you've got to learn the product. And pest control is a lot more difficult than you may imagine. Because I'd have to sit down with scientists and explain why my chemical composition is better than the competition's and how we can get rid of your cockroaches, biting insects, maggots, whatever it is. And you'd have to know all this stuff. So training was a nightmare. You'd have to sit in a classroom for hours and hours and hours with entomologists. They have got to be the most boring people group on the planet. Those of you like CSI, remember Grisham? He studied, no, they're not that cool. These guys are brilliant minds. And I'm sitting in these classes listening to these guys go on and on and on about the chemical composition, about life cycles of rodents. And then they're about to talk one day about cockroaches. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. This has got to be like 20 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, pay attention I'm going to teach you a principle of growth. So I perked up. Let me tell you a little bit about the insect world. In the insect world, there's two types of life cycle. Track with me a minute. This is going somewhere good, and then we'll close. <laughs> it's like the preacher's my last illustration. 
but it's going to take me 45 minutes. <laughs> now, this is a good one. There's two types of life cycle. There's something called complete metamorphosis and incomplete metamorphosis. So, complete metamorphosis is this. This is what flies go through. A fly will lay an egg, stage one. The egg will become a maggot, stage two. The maggot will become hard and become a pupae, and then that's stage three. And then stage four is the adult. You see this in the butterfly world. But butterfly world. You know when the, when the shell forms around the, around the caterpillar, and out of that shell emerges this beautiful butterfly. You know how that works? That's complete metamorphosis. Four stages. Egg, maggot, pupae, or larva, pupae, adult. Now, there's some insects that don't grow like that. The cockroach is one of them. The cockroach goes through something called incomplete metamorphosis. That cockroach lays an egg, and I'll, I'll talk you through this in a moment, but lays an egg, and out of that egg comes a very, very, very small cockroach. It's called a nymph, and it'll, it'll go through development stages until it becomes a full-grown adult. There's three stages. It's called incomplete metamorphosis. And that's why you get cockroaches. Anyway, let me tell you something about cockroaches, and this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. You know a cockroach? Have you ever seen cockroaches? Have you ever tried to kill a cockroach? Very difficult. Even when you stand on them, they're difficult to crush. Here's the reason. Their shell is their bone system. They don't have internal bones. Their, their skeleton is on the outside. That's the thing you crush. But this is what happens when that little egg hatches and the little tiny, tiny, tiny little um, cockroach comes out. It's a mini version of its full-grown, um, it's just a smaller version of the full-grown state. But this is what happens. Crafty little things, cockroaches. When it's born, it's like a, it's like a jelly formation. You could flick it and kill it. But the, 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 the shell forms as it interacts with air and the process of growth. This is what happens. These little um, cockroaches, when they're born, and through each stage they do the same thing, they breathe in water or they suck in air. So their little body swells. And this is what happens when the atmosphere is conducive and the heat and everything else. Their bone structure forms on the outside of this little cockroach. So in a period of days or weeks, you've got a tiny little version of the adult form. And the reason they suck in water and the reason they suck in air is so their body swells. And then the, the shell forms around them when the body is at its maximum possible size, having sucked in air and sucked in water. And once it starts to form, what they do is they breathe out the air or they spit out the water and they shrink. So they've got room in this little shell to kind of live. It's like when you were kids and you put your dad's suit on. Remember? And the, the arms are down here and the legs. It's like that, they, this little thing. And then what happens over a period of time, they grow and they fill the shell. Then it comes a point again where they break the shell and they just this little vulnerable, it's the most vulnerable, vulnerable piece of flesh that you could kill with a teaspoon. Boop, dead. Until they go through that whole system again of sucking in water, sucking in air, the frame around them grows, and that continues for five, seven, nine times until the adult form, and then it never happens again. 
And I'm saying that, and that day the Holy Spirit, when he was speaking to me, I knew exactly what he was saying. That's how God grows things. He puts you in situations that you think, oh, this is a little too big for me. There's too much room here. You know, you get asked to step up and serve. God provokes you to go and do something. Because everything's to do with faith in God's house. So you, you get asked and you get put in a position and you, you're in there and you feel like vulnerable. You feel like this little baby cockroach. And why has God put me in this big open space? Why have got elbow room? Why is there room? It's because he wants you to grow and he wants you to fill it. Some of you have been in roles and positions and departments and functions for a year, two, three, and you've filled it. You're so comfortable, man, you could do it in your sleep. Seriously, you just own that thing. You're in it. But this is what God does. This is the principle of growth. He'll break us out of what's comfortable, and this is how he does it. He'll strip away what we think is our security, which what you do is never your security. Who you are and whose you are is your security. And you'll strip some things away or you'll move circumstances around you and you feel, what's going on? I'm vulnerable. It's called transition time. Um, And when you're in transition, it's tough. It's not nice. But you know, transition always begins with an ending and then ends with a beginning. Wish I could take credit for that. I can't. Another preacher came up with that. But it's powerful. Transition always begins with an ending. That's what I've been saying all morning. Then you go through transition, and it's that moment, like the trapeze artist, where you've got to let go of the bar, and you're flying through the air. It's called transition. And then transition ends with the beginning of something new. Cockroach biology. (laughs) really is. And some of you feel you've filled it, but all of a sudden, the structure around you is gone. Listen, it's not an enemy. You're not off track. You're fully in the center of God's will because this is how he grows you. He'll take you in the transition state if you let go of the old skin and let go of that old environment and he'll put you in something new and he'll do exactly what he did before. It's too big. I don't think I can do this. I feel like a little kid in my dad's suit. God says, good, I've made elbow room for you. We're stretching out, we're enlarging, we're thinking big. Son, daughter, you can do it. You can do it. I'm in you, I'm with you. And then you go through those seasons, I don't know, and everything's changing, and his skin's come off as well, and he looks weird when he hasn't got his skin on. His skin is off. The shell system's off, and what's going on? And God's saying, I'm working my purpose. This is all to do with growth. If you understand that, same thing will happen to you again in a year or whatever. You'll fill, you fill your boots. You fill your skin. And God will say, let's break that off you again. Let's go through a transition where you'll jettison all that stuff. The good stuff. Well done in that season. But here's another season. And the kingdom is always growing. Always enlarging. God's house is not supposed to look the same. I probably don't know 80% of the people here. I've been, I've been into the life of the church on a Sunday for many, many years. But that's great. That's what it's supposed to be like. we got several campuses back home. And some Sundays now, I turn up at one of our campuses, and i got people greeting me at the door I've never met in my life. But it's great because it, it's growing. It makes increase of itself. It's supposed to be that way. 
you become stuck in tradition and in a denomination mindset, even in a lively church like this, if you can't embrace change and can't embrace next season. That's why lots of businesses don't grow. Because you can't shake off the small mindset that was beautiful when you were a mar and pa business. Now you're not. You've got to change. Change is not bad. Covenant, life flow, relationships, all that stuff stays intact. But what we're a part of should grow and evolve. So I want to, if I could, just pray a quick prayer. And I know you've got other things you want to do today. But um, I want to stir you with this. I, again, I've said this already. I believe this is the word of the Lord. If you cooperate with it. It's like Mary, when she said to the guys, do exactly what he told you to do. And they filled it to the brim. If you will fill to the brim what God has told you, the campus you're in or the church you're in, the leadership, what they're doing, new initiatives, everything that's moving to grow the house, just align yourself with it and do what you're asked to do, even if you feel vulnerable in a big skin. And those of you that have just shed your skin lately or you feel cramped, it's okay. God wants to break you out into something fresh, but it's to do with increase, it's to do with enlargement. And you have to think and live big in God's house. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is amazing. Holy Spirit, I just ask you, just as you've done as I've been speaking, I pray you'll continue to do today, tomorrow, and this week. Would you take what is of you and just water it and grow it in our lives? Father, confirm your word now with signs following and let there be huge growth, enlargement, change, and significant influence for your name and your cause. And everybody in a Welsh accent said, You get one more go already? Or God will strike this building. You ready? Amen! That's all right. Good job.